you and I were having a coffee once and you mentioned somebody's name, like a Thai person's name and he was a model or something. Ananda Everingham. Ananda. See, that's what I mean. Like, that's like an old, old person's name. Like, that's a 17th century <laughs> Indian person's name. It's like somebody's name being like, I can't even think of a good example of this because I don't know all the old, old names in German or something. I don't know, like Brunhilde, I think was a name I gave. Like, no one's called that. <laughs> like, it's a German name. You get it, right? But like, who calls who? You never, you, your kid will get mercilessly picked in school if you get, if you call them Ananda. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know a guy named Ananda and he turned into an alt rocker. He was so messed up in life. It's just a weird thing to do. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Welcome back, dear listener. Today's episode holds a surprise and we won't reveal it until the end of the episode. So if you're wondering why we're talking to today's guests and what makes this guest special and different from any other guest I had in the past, you got to listen till the very end. And of course, as with all previous episodes, I had help with the sound engineering and editing from Lou Popjecki. We'll put a link to his contact details in the show notes. If you need any help with your podcast, I suggest you contact Lou. And on we go with the show. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok. It's Karsten, your host. And today I am here with Sudan Mehta. Hello. Okay, and you work for Red Bull in India, right? Yes, yes, I do. I actually write for RedBull.com. I'm an editor of the website, and we write about the world. We write about Red Bull. We write about the things that people who drink Red Bull like to talk about, see, etc., etc. Is that like a category of people? People who drink Red Bull? Is there like a demographic? I'm sure there is. I mean... Uh, Everything for Red Bull anyway skews young. They like to believe that the people that drink Red Bull are college students, younger people who are trying to keep active and keep going, basically. And uh, yeah, so we tend to look at topics that are more young at heart, let's put it that way. Okay, when do people drink Red Bull in India? Because... I feel like Red Bull drinking behavior is very different by I countries. I think so too. And... Uh, that's the thing. I'm, I'm not really an expert on the product itself. I'm a guy that sort of puts together the image of the product for them in the sense that this is who it is that drinks Red Bull and what they appreciate and like to see. And I have a team of people who I work with and we all do that and we all try and sort of tap into what Red Bull is supposed to mean to people. But from what I understand... Uh, Red Bull in India, at least, is extremely driven through colleges and universities. So the Wings girls, you know, the girls that have the Red Bull backpack can, you know, and they have the cans in that cooling bag and they take it out and give it to you for free. I'm sure everyone in, who's got Red Bull in their country has seen these girls come around and pass free Red Bull out at events and stuff. So uh, they usually are at colleges, college events. Uh, a lot of people use it when they're studying, when they're cramming before an exam, they get a, go ahead and drink a Red Bull. Uh, a lot of gamers 
drink Red Bull to keep going. Uh, Red Bulls, Red Bull, and many other uh, energy drinks are consumed during gaming. I think that's a pretty big segment. In Germany, you know, I remember when they first, Red Bull first came around, it was mostly in clubs. So you were like clubbing and you had like Red Bull, Red Bull vodka. And, and of course, Thailand, where it's originally from, uh, it's kind of a drink for construction workers and truck yeah. drivers to Absolutely, stay awake. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is Red Bull is a big part of drinking culture anyway worldwide. Because of, uh, what is it called? There's so many names for it. The car bomb, the submarine, the Jaeger bomb, where they put a, put a Red Bull in a alcohol drink of some kind, a shot of Red Bull in a big drink and down the whole thing. So obviously we don't like to talk about that, but it's prevalent. And uh, yeah, it happens everywhere, I think. But by and large, I think, like you said, every country has its own associations with Red Bull and Thailand has a completely different association with energy drinks. It started out in Thailand and it sort of made its own mark there, which is quite uh, different from uh, other brands, I think, in Thailand especially, because it's got that sort of uh, homegrown support the home team, the local thing going like the local brand going but now other brands have come out and have pushed red bull firmly into the back burner now it's not number one in thailand by a stretch anymore so yeah i think the top drink in thailand is m150 is that what it is m150 yeah i think i would yeah was the one yeah, i always M150 went for and then carabao and then red bull so red bull's not even second anymore it's behind carabao the new home team on the block that everybody loves is Carabao. So. You're a very frequent visitor to Thailand. You're kind of visiting the, the company headquarters here? Uh, no, or, I, uh... I actually just come to visit every time. Uh, my brother lives there. He lives in Bangkok and uh, he's been there for about four years now and I've been coming for the last two and a half years just visiting him every like six months or so. And I stay for two or three weeks at a time and I'm really just planning to move over there as soon as I can. So that's in the works now. And uh, hopefully by next year. Could you just do a company internal transfer? Like, eh, I want to go work for the head office or I'm uh, for... I'm that's that's the thing. Uh, Red Bull uh, Worldwide or Red Bull uh, Austria, which is actually Red Bull, Red Bull GmbH as it is, is a wholly different company from, I don't know what the Thai full form is. It's Kratendeng something, something, something. It's uh, so Red Bull is actually a franchisee, and the the, uh, the real product or the real company with the real IP is the Thai company, the parent company. So uh, you can't transfer between Red Bull Thailand, sorry Red Bull, and to the Red Bull division in Thailand because they're two different companies. So there's no European Red Bull company's office in Thailand. The Thai company has the sole rights to sell Red Bull in Thailand, and they're like. Might as well be two completely unrelated companies. Yeah, because that's so how different. they make the money. Uh, that's how the Red Bull family in Thailand makes their money. The Red Bull founder in uh, Salzburg in Austria, his name is, I think, Mr. Mateschitz. And uh, he has got a license from them to use the product. And the difference between Red Bull and the Thai original drink is it's carbonated. So they might sell it back to these guys but i don't think they have a official presence per se and even if they do i think it's more <laughs> more a drink they sell in nightclubs than on the street like 
Thai people don't drink Red Bull. They drink Kraken Den. It's quite clear in their minds what the difference is. Yeah, they definitely have this marketing campaign like re-imported Red Bull. So they take the Western Red Bull, bring it to Thailand and sell it at a like 5x premium of the local yeah, stuff. because it's not the local stuff. Simple as it's literally made in some other country and imported into Thailand. Whereas the local stuff is literally local stuff. It's probably made in some factory 200 kilometers away at best and comes in and everyone just drinks it. So, and also the quantities, there's a massive difference. Like <laughs> Kratendeng is a tiny little bottle, whereas Red Bull itself is a long can, 330 ml or so. There's a pretty big difference. And I remember you told me a while back that, you know, Red Bull has all these sponsoring programs that they do all this, basically anything that involves flying through the air, Red Bull yeah. sponsors. And with the exception of one category of sports where they don't yeah, get involved, right? Sports. Why is that? I have no idea. I have been puzzled by this for the entire year I've been working here. But apparently the Austrians are not fans of it. When I say that, I mean the, the owners probably think that there's enough stuff for them to sponsor, which is not combat sports. Because you can't cast it too wide also. And as it is, Red Bull is doing so many things in so many places. And I guess they don't want to be involved with fight sports. And that's what I mean. Like, that's what Kratendang doesn't have a problem with. Because one of the biggest iconic sponsors of Muay Thai is Kratendang. I don't know if they do it anymore. I'm sure they do it in some capacity. Like there were so many tournaments where you had the logo in the middle of the ring or the fighters wearing it in the back of their shorts. It's like a authentic, you know how you have those retro football jerseys in Europe? Like the 1995 Bayern uh -huh. Munich team wore this sponsored t-shirt short jersey when they played and they won the Champions League or whatever. That's kind of the sort of the place the Red Bull Muay Thai shorts have in Muay Thai. Like it's an iconic pair of kit gear that collectors or fans of the sport would have. So Muay Thai and, and Kratendeng are quite inseparable. I haven't seen what they've been doing with it lately, but it used to be the case, at least from what I recall. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they don't do fight sports, but... And you're not kind of without the Red Bull connection and looking into moving from India yeah, to Thailand. That's what I'm trying right? to do now, yes. I know most Westerners, when they kind of move to Thailand, I feel like it's kind of a lifestyle move. Like a lot of people don't move to Thailand because they perceive their career chances to be improving unless they get sent here by their head office. Mostly it's kind of for, you know, the weather, the food, the lifestyle. Would you say it's the same for you or? I think personally it's the same for me because I guess it's also how we see things like I see a lot of Western expats or expats from developed countries, I think is more accurate because you also see it from Singaporeans and Hong Kong people. And they get frustrated with the minutiae of Thai culture in the way that it, the pace is a bit slower. People might not quite understand why things need to be rule-bound and efficient or maybe let things slip once in a while, lapses occur in services And uh, it bothers them a lot and it like takes up their time and mental energy. But if you come from an Asian country, which is also bureaucratic and nightmarish in this regard, Thailand's quite a walk in the park, man. Like, I'm, I'm not uh, really worried about any of them and their bureaucratic messes because I go through like 
three or four times the amount of that over here in Mumbai. I mean, uh, and we're pretty efficient city compared to a lot of the other ones. So culturally, I think it's like Thailand had to put it somewhere between like developing world and developed world. It would be like towards the developed world side, not on the developing world side. And uh, I don't know how other people who are on that side see it. Maybe they put it closer to my side than to their side. So you go to Thailand and your impression is, wow, things here are so organized, so smooth and so corruption free. I wouldn't say corruption free. And I don't actually have a problem with that since that's part of my life anyway. You don't have a problem with that? No, because in the sense that I don't have a problem with that in how the world functions around me. Like I deal with corruption every day as a part of my life in the sense that Stuff you need to do to get things done is just what you need to do. So if I have to do it in another language with different prices, it doesn't affect me. I don't feel morally obliged to change it. And as an outsider, I feel it even less. In India also, you know, you feel like, oh, I wish this we weren't so corrupt and I want to do something to change it. And then you try to do some stuff like that. But I guess at least looking at how a lot of Indians who move as, you know, foreign workers to Thailand, they don't seem to be bothered by the corruption at all. And they don't seem to care about it changing or not changing because I guess we just figure we're outsiders. So what business is it of ours to tell these guys how to run their ship? You know, we're as bad, if not worse. So Indians coming to Thailand don't have culture talk? They're just like, oh, yeah. I'm sure we do. I think it's more with the food. With the food? For sure, yeah. Indians don't travel well without Indian food. And Thai food is pretty vastly different the non-vegetarian sort of pervasive culture that we face in every part of the world is also prevalent here. We're not used to that. We're not okay with it. We're also really confused by the entire Thai culture because it seems to be a appropriated form of Indian culture, but it happened organically. So we aren't really going to say anything about it, but it just is kind of strange, you know? Thai culture is an appropriate form appropriated. of appropriated form of Indian culture. Well, dude, I mean, they worship Indian gods and Indian people. And we do too. It's just that it's like from 400 years ago, like some of the stuff that they're doing is so old. Like it just never changed the way it changed for us. Like, I guess it's just generally watching how it works also. The, you know, how they do the Hindu rituals. I think you had, uh, or was it the Bangkok podcast? They had a Hindu priest on. And there's still a line of Brahmin priests who are at the Thai court who have to do the royal ceremonies and swearing in. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not well versed in exactly what these are, but they are like literally from 500 years ago, this stuff would happen in India, which is still happening in Thailand today. So it's kind of weird. Like if you think about it, imagine like going to another country and seeing stuff that your ancestors did, but happening in front of you, you know? So it's kind of like that. I think it's a very interesting thing. It doesn't, it doesn't strike us immediately. Like when we, when we land in Thailand as, I guess, tourists and stuff, and we just stay for like four or five days, I don't think most of us would notice. But if you hang around or you visit many times, like I have, I think you start to see these things sort of creep into the margins and you're like, wow, these people really do all this still. Like, how come, you know? And even theoretically, I've been told, I don't have this on good authority, that the Thai language script is also based off old Sanskrit scripts or something like that. Is that true? Would you know? 
Uh, yeah, I think there's some. There was some influence there. Uh, that's what I heard. Yeah, but it's stuff like I mean, even even by just looking at it. I mean, I guess I I don't know what the letters, what the symbols mean, but I understand how they put together because that belongs to my part of the world with the letter and like vowel signifiers up and down or around it. You know what I mean? Like the that letter by itself is this, but then you add this thing below it and it becomes a different sound and. on top or on the side or before or after this is all like indian writing so i mean i can i can guess it but I, <laughs> if i were to learn thai and i would really like to i would literally map both languages side to side and sort of figure it out that way i think that would make it easier for me literally correlate them to hindi words uh, hindi letters things like that so yeah i guess uh, there's a lot of roots there you know there's a lot of stuff which is shared I think we were talking about this. I think you and I were having a coffee once, and you mentioned somebody's name, like a Thai person's name, and he was a model or something. Ananda Everingham. Ananda. See, that's what I mean. Like, that's like an old, old person's name. Like, that's a 17th century <laughs> Indian person's name. It's like somebody's name being like I can't even think of a good example of this because I don't know all the old, old names in German or something. I don't know, like Brunhilda. I think was a name I gave. Like no one's called that. <laughs> like it's a German name. You get it, right? But like, who calls who? You never. You your kid will get mercilessly picked in school if you get if you call them Ananda. You know what I'm saying? Like I know a guy <laughs> named Ananda, and he turned into a alt rocker. He was so messed up in life. It's just a weird thing to do. So they have this, you know, they have these like old old names, or they have like these hybrid Indian Thai names, which they think are fully Thai. But you know, some of these names I read in Thai, they have really long names, okay, and some of them are like compound names, literally. So it's like one like Indian name plus a Thai name. So it'll be like this really long weird name. And again, this is just an outsider's point of view. Like, I actually don't understand how this all came to be. I'm sure there's a rich story that I've missed here of cross-cultural pollination, which is great. I mean, I'm glad that India had a lot of influence on other parts of the world, but you never see it coming. I guess I, I have to see other countries in the region to to sort of compare the two things. So when you read like Thai names, you basically read Testimona, Dolabella. Uh... Yeah, it's literally it's like Saxo Grammaticus Paul or something, you know. To me, like to give you an example, like old Latin names, you know, that's what these old Sanskrit, like eleventh century philosopher names, these guys have, and um, you know, it moves, it like gets added into this other foreign word which I cannot even understand, like what it is. So it's like that. Like even my name, okay. Like my name is Siddhant, but the original, like actual word is Siddhanta, like Ananda or Siddhartha, like the Buddha. But today we are Siddhant and Siddharth. The A is dropped because we proceeded eight hundred years into the future, you know, where our language evolved and we're done with it. But since they learnt stuff from us eight hundred years ago, it's kind of like a snapshot frozen in time. So I have many friends named Siddharth, but no one's named Siddhartha. If he is again, he's just picked on in school because he's like his parents are nerds or something, you know, like just because that's one extra A that. No, I mean it just makes you seem like a poncy fancy guy, like you know, or parents think you're so cool naming up to some like really big prophet kind of. You know what I mean? I don't think people are like lining up to name their kids Marcus or Aurelius, you know. <laughs> But aren't the ties gonna think the same thing when they hear your name? They're like, what? 
first of all, no one can say my name. That is out of the question because like, it's not a Thai name. I feel like, hey, Karsten, I've been meaning to ask you this actually. And since we're recording, we might as well get on with it. You know how Thais always give people short names or everyone has to have one? Uh-huh. I should get one. What do you think I should get? Oh, you, that's easy. You're sit. Just what with the T? Because I hear T when I say D. Well, there is like different ending sounds. There's like not an open sound. So like, you know, in English you have like sit, t, like sit. And um, in Thai, you basically just stop halfway, like depending on what ending letter it is. If it's like a D or dotek, you would just kind of stop the sound halfway through. So it would be sit. Oh, sweet. Okay. I'm going with it. Yeah. That's how I'm going to introduce myself now to like Thai people because they're just like, no. I say my name and they're like, no. Literally, someone has shook their head at me and said, no. <laughs> and then I had to like, I had to come up with something. I'd be like, Sid or Sid. And then it was sit, 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 sit. So I just, I'll just be like, Sid. Okay. I don't know. I have to, I have to work on that. But yeah. Cultural experimentation, I guess. Yeah, I'm Phil. Yeah, I've heard you use it before. Well, uh, that actually came about from uh, MySpace. Seriously? Yes. How? Okay, how did that happen? <laughs> how does MySpace influence the present? That's amazing. <laughs> uh, so when I first came to Thailand, I went online to make some friends. And by make some friends, by make some friends, I mean... Date. So I was like, okay, where can we find a date in Thailand? And back then there was no Facebook, but there was MySpace. So, and MySpace was public. Everybody could read your profile. And I figured, well, hmm. And even then, at least I had the awareness to think that maybe having a MySpace account and putting MySpace page-like stuff on there is going to be embarrassing at some point. So maybe I shouldn't use my real name. However, if I want to have any chance of meeting up with the girls that I uh, message there, it's also going to be weird if I don't, if I have to tell them, oh, that's not my real name. So I had to come up with something that, you know, that offers plausible deniability. So I came up with using my middle name, Karsten Philip Eichholz. There you go. For all of you who didn't know, that's what it is. I never used that name. I figured, you know, as like a guy from southwestern Germany, we're very frugal. You know, it seems kind of a waste to have something and not use it, like a middle name. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, this is this is perfect. Go on, middle name on your keep. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm not yeah. keeping you on the passport for nothing. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I hardly knew how to spell my middle name. I had to like check my own passport because there's actually different ways you can spell it. Now, like. Yeah. Like how many? What are you? Are you the two L guy? No, I'm one L, one P. There's no double letters in it, you know. So well, so two P's uh, in total. Simple. Yeah, simple. but I, I didn't like. I remember as when I was in high school, I never knew how to spell my middle name. That was actually pretty good. So and of course, Philip can be shortened to Phil, and because in Thai you don't have an L at the end of a word, it becomes Phil or uh, Finn. And um, uh. Anyway, so I met up with uh, one woman from MySpace and we actually became friends and I became friends with her friends and became friends with their friends. And there was like this chain reaction. And obviously, every time she introduced me, she was like, oh, that's Phil, that's Phil, that's Phil. And then, like, oh, hello, Phil. And that just spread on. To this day, there are people who call me Phil. And it all originated from that MySpace 
profile and person this I'm is amazing. There. Yeah. So yeah. it's like I, I'm going to learn German. So <laughs> if I ever go to Germany with you, I'm gonna confuse your entire friend circle by only referring to you as Phil while speaking German. I think they're already confused when people when they come here and they hear people call me Phil. They're like, who? Oh that what? That that, that that's not your name. I love it. <laughs> like this is so great. Like I was talking to I was talking to one of our upcoming guests and he has like an Indian name and a Thai name. I'm like, what do you need two for? Well, one is my name because, you know, so my parents want to call me that. Please tell me one of them is Anand and the other is Ananda. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's like a very typical Indian name and seemingly very typical Thai name. Okay. It just goes to show, like, I guess why, that's why the Chinese also, like, tend to have an English name, you know, because they just think it would be easier for everybody else. So... It's very interesting like that there's this culture of uh, shortening. I feel like I can do anything with this. I, sh- I can just come up with one. Because I see, I meet people in Thailand and they have like awesome names, some of them. I've met a lot of gifts. Yes. I don't know why. Like why girls want to be called gift? Well, you know, it's a gift from, you know, the, the gods or so. The, the child is a gift. It's a pretty... Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a lot better than Ui. Ui, yeah. You know, there, there is like, there is the Thai nickname, Ui. That's a sound effect, though. Yes, it's a sound effect. When It's a sound effect you make when you find out that you're pregnant and you didn't plan to. Ui. Yeah, I can <laughs> see that. No, that's literally how those nicknames came about. Like, it's like, oh, what's your name? It's Ui. And how did that come about? Well, uh, there was a condom mm. that broke, you know? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Ui. So you have all these things. So there's like this orthopedist, I think. Okay. And uh, he has two kids that are named Bone and Joint. Wow. Yep. <laughs> wow. Well, then of I course- mean, at least, like, <laughs> stop thinking about work at home, you know? And like, oh, honey, I'm home. Oh, hi, hi, kids. Hi, Bone. Hi, Joint. <laughs> I see you all are together again, just getting on with life. I hope you never separate from each other. But it was also a really interesting question, I think, is if you are an immigrant, what do you name your kids? Because you can't really... I would go, I've thought about this and I will go straight Thai on this. Uh-huh. Forget it. Why think about this? Are you going to like Somchai? Yeah. Somchai is a great name. Like it would translate over here as well for me in India. I think it would be great. Like people would be like Somchai. That's a weird name. Yeah, yeah. It's obscure. Like something in literature or something. I'll just make it up or whatever. Do you know how that sounds in Thai to Thais? What? Somchai? Yeah. I have no idea. I'm just assuming that it's okay to call your Thai kid Somchai. Exactly. And that's what I think that, you know, I have a friend who's like, uh, what would be second generation Thai immigrant in Germany. He was born to Asian parents in Germany and they gave him a Thai name. And in the hospital, the nurses were like, maybe you should give your son also a German name, you know, so the Germans have something they can call him that's easy to recognize. And they're like, well, we haven't thought about that. Oh, here's a, it's okay. We'll give you a list of first names. You can just pick one of them. Awesome. Uh-huh. I mean, that's, that list thing is pervasive throughout Europe, so I'm not surprised by that. I'm just saying Somchai worked beautifully. Like, I think it's a great name. Like, Chai means tea, right? So, what do you name your kid? Somchai. Just get some chai. <laughs> We'll have hours of fun with this. Yeah, I'm not sure if he will have fun with it, though. I mean, if he's in Thailand, what does he care, right? It's only when he goes home or comes to India or whatever, and then he gets teased by, like, random people. 
Well, maybe that name in Thailand is like an old name. Like, because that, here's the thing that happened with an Asian kid in Germany, because his parents were like, oh, that name sounds good. Yeah, that sounds like an easy name. Let's go with that one. Sep. Sep. That's like an 18th century Viennese baker's name. It's mostly like a rural farmer boy name, kind of. So we would like, if you hear someone named Sep, you would think someone who grew up in a farm like 50 kilometers from the next grocery store. Isn't it like a short form? Like, isn't that like, isn't it Joseph or yeah, something? Yeah, it's short for Joseph, but it's very, very rural. It's like, I don't know, in the US it might be Baba. Oh, shit. So, like, imagine <laughs> you're like this Asian migrant kid and your name and your name. But Baba. that's what I'm saying. Names and, are so powerful. And, really? I mean, that's just... Yeah. I mean, you're not going to fly below the radar with that one. That's that's just... That's what I say. You know, if they called him Michael, you know, people are like, yeah, whatever. You know, everybody's named Michael. You know, dude, that's why people have legitimate businesses out of this. Like, what to name your baby and stuff and numerologically make it correct. So, it all works out. It's a thing. And people need to consult it. Well, but it's it's like branding, right? Nowadays, if you have a registered brand, you have to hire these agencies that check if, you know, the word is an insult in Swahili and, you know, all these worldwide checks or if there's any semblance to anything else. Yeah. Because there's also this guy whose Thai name is Tosajit. Tosajit. Yeah. Well, I'm pronouncing it in a way a bit more. The way it's spelled is Tosajit. So, if you were to say ah. English. So, his name was literally Tosajit. But but every culture has this. Like everyone does have this. Don't yeah. want to move to the US with that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean we all have them though. The Sikhs, as we have uh, spoken about quite recently, and Punjabis. There's a lot of Hardeeps and Sukhdeeps, but it's H A R D E E P and S U K H D E E P. No one in grade school would care about the spelling. Yeah, because it'll just be Sukhdeep and Hardeep. And then there's, of, co- of course, there's a H-A-R-D-I-K, Hardik. <laughs> and there was a guy in my class when we went to Europe, when I went to study in Europe, who was also from India. His name was Gaurav Dikshit, which is D-I-K-S-H-I-T. <laughs> what? <laughs> it actually means something completely different, obviously, but we're well past the point of caring <laughs> up upon hearing it, right? So, yeah. I, I didn't realize it until someone pointed it out. I guess sometimes you're just blind to these things, right? Yeah, I no longer notice the whole porn thing in Thailand, right? Yeah, I, I guess. I'm like, I don't even notice that anymore. If you're going to move to Thailand, are you going to be an expat or an immigrant? I don't get to choose, right? I'm definitely going to be called an immigrant because only white people are expats, let's face it. Does it even come up or? No, because we don't talk about shit like this. (laughs) 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 Exactly. That's the thing. I don't know. I really think the the whole expat thing is really a Western, like white person thing. Everybody else is just like, oh, I have a job in another country. Cool. Nice one is what your friend will say. And then that will be the end of it. And we just find each other and ghettoize, man. That's what Indians do. And Asians in general like to just stick with their own. Indians are different now because I guess we're much more open to the rest of the world than we used to be. So the educated bunch of us like to have friends from other countries. I think linguistically, we have a big advantage over everyone because of the English, which means we can talk to more people and strike up more conversations. And it'll all be more organic and natural, you know. Let me think about it. Like uh, English speaking Indian engineer and a Japanese speaking Japanese engineer with the same qualifications, the same interests maybe even in life, move to 
Kansas. Who's going to make more friends, really? The guy who can speak to other people, you know, like it's a big advantage, I think. Yeah, it works out for us, I think. And the Indian community in Bangkok and in Thailand in general is pretty huge, you know. So never out of things to do. Also, the key thing is there's the Indian Thai community and just the Indian like people who moved from India community, you know. So they intersect for sure. They are separate. They're usually distinctive. There's... No, no, they they intersect obviously. Uh-huh. But when it's convenient, you're out of it, right? Because your family's not there. You don't have to worry about what people think of you when you don't go to society events and shit like that. And no one invites you to their like weddings and stuff if you've been there only six months because nobody knows you, obviously. Well, that doesn't matter. An Indian wedding, you show up anyway, right? I mean, no, but you might as well. They won't know, but still. Somebody might catch you. And of course, our greatest fear is shame, like every other Asian culture. But yeah, I think if you want to be a party boy and do whatever and like hang out with whoever you want, it's great. You can do that. But if you want to choose sort of having a slice of home in another country and sort of being involved with a community and having people back you and have more people to talk to, talk to talk to rather from something more familiar, you, you're welcome to do that as well. Like a lot of people embrace uh, the Indian Thai community when they move from India. And the thing is, again, India is not a monolith, right? So there's a lot of people that come from parts of India who don't have people that they have in common in the Indian Thai community. So they're outsiders anyway. Uh, Linguistically, culturally, they might be as different. They might find uh, the Indian Thai community as different as the Thai community and might see it more worthwhile to actually just speak Thai instead like, and make Thai friends. I totally see that happening, you know. What about the foreigners you meet? Like, if you compare that, the expats you meet in India with the expats you meet in Thailand, are there like a different streak of people? I don't think there's a big difference. I think the big difference is, I guess, the kind of expat, you know, in some ways. Um, and not, and I think it's more out of meeting you and, and your friends, actually, that I, I see this. The digital nomad expat is someone I've never seen before. You know, and it seems to be pretty prevalent in Thailand, not just Bangkok. Like, they kind of live everywhere and don't have a permanent base in Thailand, but come when the weather is shit everywhere else and come and hang out. I haven't actually met anyone who does that in India. Any expats that do that in India, that is. Otherwise, it's people who have to move here for work and stuff. And yeah, they come, they do their work, they meet up, they have parties, they play football. They do all the same stuff, really. It's just that... One is Bangkok, one is Mumbai. So the social scenes are a bit different. Things you can do is different. The openness, the society is a bit different. But yeah, I think it's quite similar, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you move from Mumbai to or when you're looking at moving from Mumbai or India to Thailand, I mean, Thailand was not your first choice, right? No, no, it wasn't. What was your first choice? I actually studied in Europe to begin with. My When I say study, I mean I studied my master degree in journalism in Europe. Uh-huh. Where was that? It was this thing called the Erasmus Mundus course. It's this initiative by the European Commission where they sort of take a bunch of subjects and they try and look at how many universities there are in Europe teaching this stuff and they kind of horizontally try and connect schools together to make a more strong curriculum and therefore stronger learning experience and degree by that i mean you can't have like the university of leiden go up against stanford like 
they're going to lose 10, nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10 on facilities and things like that and expertise and professors. But then if Leiden is good at teaching one thing in agriculture and there's another school in, say, I don't know, pick a country, Portugal, that teaches another thing very well that is related, they sort of have the student then stay one semester in Leiden and one semester in the school in Portugal, you know? West Leiden? In the Netherlands. Okay. And it's one of the old, one of the older universities over there. But, and that's what I'm saying. I only know about that because I used to live in the Netherlands for a bit. So that's what I mean. Like you have this sort of, um, where they try to just club things together. So I first left to go to Aarhus in Denmark. And I had a semester there. Then I had a semester in Amsterdam. And then I had a year in Swansea in the UK. And I got my two degrees in journalism, mm-hmm. which is just so great. I can't even tell you. Uh, why is that? I don't think a journalism degree has helped anybody till date. Uh, I think it's it only helps you like with building contacts maybe and meeting people and sort of maybe expanding your view of the world. So all the soft stuff that you get from a study abroad experience, yes, it gives you like a rich reward. But uh, I don't think having the degree has ever opened any doors for me personally like it's never been some kind of oh wow you have a degree in journalism i've got to hire you and pay you more than everybody else so yeah i don't regret it simply because i got to do a lot of really interesting things and i got to see a lot of places up close and personal and uh, that's why to answer your original question the place that i wanted to live in first was denmark actually so or or the netherlands that it seems like the complete opposite of Thailand. It is. That's kind of your part of the world. So you know what people over there are like, kind of. <laughs> They're not at all like Thai people. But there's nothing uh, bad in that. That's different. Different is good too, you know. It's still a world apart from me. Like, it's still a freaking paradise in my eyes, you know. Mm. So why the 180 degree turn? Well, it's also because I went in 2009 and... You know, the financial crisis had just hit, but Europe was still kind of in its honeymoon EU as a utopia phase, which I was seeing the last of it. But I was still like really excited by it. And I was also just excited by European culture and how things worked over there and how free everybody was. Like India is a very oppressed, repressed culture and society. You know, you don't get to talk about stuff. You don't get to express yourself. Did you have like a moment in Denmark where you thought, wow, I did not see that coming? I had it pretty much every day. Pretty much every day. Like I, I remember I lived in Aarhus, which is the second biggest city in Denmark. And you won't find it on the map because it's just Denmark is that tiny and most people don't know anything aside from Copenhagen. It's a small city, about 400,000 people, which is basically my neighborhood over here in Mumbai. So... I've never had that much open space in my life. And this is the first country I've lived in outside of Mumbai, right? Not even India. Like, like I've never left my city to live in another place. So for me to like go here in like at the age of 23 or 24 was ridiculous. It was a world apart. That was an actual culture shock. Like I had no idea what was happening. I literally got out of the train at Aarhus and I went all the way into the forest because there's a forest apparently. I mean, where I live, there are like four trees. 
so and and mumbai has the lowest amount of green space per person like green space in acres to a person i think we have less than like about a foot per person or something ridiculous like that you know so i'm not used to green like i i'm never i never went camping and things like that because these are all weird things that freaks do you know so i went and i lived in the jungle with wild animal with sorry in the forest with like foxes and things like that which i've never i've never experienced nature like this and i could literally take an extra second of breath when i took a deep breath because the air was so clean or that i could drink out of the out of the tap i don't know like all these things were happening and i couldn't understand them so when you're in ba- when you're going to bangkok you're like oh now i feel safe again there's no green no, space no, tap water taste like chlorine it, like- it's just that thailand to me is a mixture of these things you know you have the you can't drink from the tap because you'll die but i can live with that i'm actually uh-huh. i mean i'm pretty sure i won't die but i don't want to test it uh because i probably drink worse water every day than uh, thai people do but i don't want to try that out but at the same time they have actual infrastructure that wasn't built in the 19th century which is cool you know i like it i don't know if they're upset about it I love it when they all like complain about oh it's so crowded I can't get in. I'm like yeah that's cuz you're all nice to each other. And then I just push them and walk <laughs> in. <laughs> you know, I don't mind being an asshole about it like cuz that's how I deal with it. So uh so yeah and and it's like it's got these people queue up like legit queue up not Indian and Chinese person queue up which is like there's the line there's five <laughs> people behind that line and then there's like two guys on either side of the front of the line trying to angle their way in and everyone's watching one side or the other like that guy gets in i'm going to go right in front and push him and then try and and like start a thing because that's what we do like i i guess we're not used to we're not into this whole, i think indians are just not okay with order like it seems to be a great affront to us personally to like do things in an orderly fashion which i think the thais do which i think is just ridiculous in its own way I, i'm very impressed by it by the way like there's traffic it's easily the worst traffic i've experienced in my life but no one honks you know yeah. no one honks their horn which i think is freaking weird you know like how are you all so patient sitting here and not like losing your minds you know cuz you've been to mumbai you you heard what it's like you've been to india right. in general like it's a like people people communicate through their like honks you know they're like uh, what you did there right now was was wrong and i'm going to just keep hitting this thing till you turn around and acknowledge me or i'm i'm going to go from this lane to that lane here's a honk although it has nothing to do with you so like like all this stuff is is there like you'll have the uh, water is not safe to drink there is pollution there is corruption but at the same time it's like oh but we're actually pretty civil people who follow the rules and get stuff done and i get that i i totally dig it that's why i was attracted to europe in the first place i was like wow this idea that society will work if everyone just follows the rules is an actual thing it's not some stuff somebody made up to make us follow rules that i've been taught my whole life like these things work if everyone just does what they're supposed to do everything will be fine so i was amazed by it and uh, that's why i was really attracted to sort of the european 
ideas of like individualism, freedom, uh, determinism, like you can do whatever you can and you'll become something. You're not going to be bogged down by whose family you're from and what you're supposed to be. Like these are all really cool things, you know. But? But then, uh, you know, Europe went hard right. So nobody liked the brown people anymore. Fact of life, man. You can't change your skin. Unless you Michael Jackson it, but that's like a whole other game, you know. Don't want to play that. So basically you're saying nowadays it's talent is the easier sell. Oh yeah, I think so. Because here we have like all the opportunity to grow, but we have the intensity of the competition. And we've got the same problems with freedom of speech and expression and authority and social upheaval and things like that. But we're told we're a democracy, so it's all cool. We can do whatever we want. Except when someone does that, they get like reprimanded in many ways by the state or by the public themselves. Like They'll find a way to check you and destroy you. But what I love about Thailand is, it's pretty clear that it's an autocratic government. I don't know what the exact correct like PC term would be, but it's like authoritarian. Let's just say that and I, I assume I'm not stepping on anyone's toes, right? No, if you do, we'll edit it. No worries. Whatever. Yeah, it's, it's authoritarian. Like, you have to follow the rules or they throw you in jail. But you know what? If they say this is wrong and this is right and you do the wrong stuff, you go to jail. If you do the right stuff or you do the stuff which is not in the, like, absolutely don't say anything about this, they don't do anything to you, which is great. I love it. Like, at least I know where the line is, you know? We're not ready for the kind of level-headed or crazy even crazy debates that european governments have with their citizens because we just like riot and stuff it's it's not something that india is able to do effectively but thailand for all its faults is remarkably stable for some kind of dysfunctional government structure you know that no matter what happens things are just going to keep running because there's an entire pattern of history that just shows that Whatever coups that have happened haven't really changed anything. Business just keeps going on as usual. And I, I can live with that, man. Like Europe went hard right. Uh, I had immigrated to Denmark and I had like this uh, green card visa or whatever where I could work there. And I had like a residence permit for three years to stay there. While I was there, because of the political situation, they changed the renewal process to get a new visa and to get permanent residency three times in the one and a half years that I was there. And it kept going up. So it would be like, now you have to be from five years, you have to stay there for eight years. Next, it was like this much, you had to earn that many thousands of euros a year to now triple that. And then the third time it was that they increased both things. And you had to speak like an extremely high level of Danish as well. And this all happened within two years. And if you keep moving the goalposts, how's anyone going to fucking score a goal? Like, you know, it doesn't make sense. So, and then of course, no one got hired because I didn't, I, I guess I didn't have the language skills that were necessary to really tap into the local market. You know, they, they, everyone speaks Danish and does business in Danish. So, you know, I guess I had thought that I would get into some kind of media organization, which was an international one, but you know, there's so many qualified individuals there that they will just be prefer preferred over you and for good reason. And I guess I was naive in thinking that I could stand out somehow when I didn't exactly have the tools for it. Whereas in Thailand, 
after meeting people like you, the guys you hang out with, the digital nomads. You're like, all, oh, I can compete with that. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just that my skills are different and they're valued in their own way. Like, you know, they really value people who speak English, can write, communicate in a high level of English. Even you guys are not all of the digital nomads or rather even business owners who are expats in Thailand are exceptional communicators in in their own language they they would rather have a professional do it and they, they don't have professionals in thailand you know they they're usually some other form of expat or immigrant which hopefully i could be someday or at least i i feel encouraged in that people have actually heard me say oh i write stuff and i've been an editor and writer and journalist for like uh, eight years and they're like, oh, uh, can you write this for me uh, and my business? And I have this business. Can you do this for me? Completely unsolicited. And you can soon add podcaster to that list, oh, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. We have to talk about that, don't we? Yes. Siddhant is going to join Brood in Bangkok as a co-host. Yeah. Come on. Look at how excited everyone is. I can hear them clapping yeah. like on the other side when there's no recording device playing that back to me. I know what's happening. I know they're excited. Come I'll, on. I'll get, a, I'll get a little sound clip where it's like yeah. a little cheer. Like, Insert okay. sound clip here. Yes, I should make a timeline footnote. So, yeah, you'll be uh, joining the Bruden Bangkok podcast. You will. We will be talking to Andrew Stotts, a really interesting finance guy in our next episode. And you'll also be doing a solo show or a one-on-one show right after that one. And um, you have a lot of experience as a podcast host already. You run your own podcast called Adventures of Cheap Beer with two of your friends, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, my friends Suresh and Karan. Uh, We've been doing the podcast for two years now. And what we do is we go to dive bars in Mumbai and review them. Dive bars in Mumbai. Yeah. So they're actually called quarter bars because a quarter is a, is a really small, like it's not a miniature, but it's a bottle that holds like three large drinks. So 180 ml of alcohol. And they only serve that at like the alcohol shop or in these bars. Wait, 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 a, second, wait a second. Wait a second. It's called a quarter. It's 100 ml and it fits three drinks. Um, 180 how is, how, 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 how is that a quarter of anything? Like, I don't get, I don't get the reference. It's a quarter of a whole bottle. Like, a whole bottle is like, how many? Like, 60 uh, is like... A 720 yeah. ml. Oh, it's like a hard liquor bottle, like 0. Yeah, 7, yeah. 750 ml. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. 750 uh-huh. ml is actually a full-size bottle. So, yeah, that's what it is. And basically, we go to the bar. We take a guest. We go to a bar. We review the bar for its food, ambience various other factors we get trashed and then we record the podcast right after so we're very drunk when we do it and we're about like 55 episodes in now i think 55 56 because we do it every two weeks because if we did it every week we'd die right now and i was a guest on the show and the part that i didn't know is that that you record right after the bar i thought you would record the next day why would we do that where's the fun in that <laughs> I thought, man, those those guys are really jolly. They're like always full of energy on their recording. I got to find out what they do. And yeah, now no, no, I know. We were just drunk. We, we, simple yes. explanation. We were just drunk. And we were all drunk. Um, uh, you were drunk too. We had a great time. 
Yes, so I am on, that's my first and only drunk interview that I did. You'll find it on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes? Are you going to yeah, iTunes? Yeah, we are, we, are we are banned on iTunes India, but you can find us on the global iTunes store. Okay, banned in India iTunes. Yeah, because we use inappropriate language apparently. Uh, so this is what I mean, like because we cuss, they just took us out of the store instead of letting us censor ourselves or anything. They're like, oh, no, 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 you're out. So, awesome. Thanks, Apple. Thanks for that. Yeah. Okay. So, banned in iTunes India yeah. and with a feature recording of the Drunk Brood in Bangkok host. Uh, which episode was that? Uh, I think it's episode 50, 53 or 54. Uh, you'll, look, you'll find okay. Carsten's name up there. We, 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 okay. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes yeah. so you can actually... Yeah. Uh, Listen to that one. I, sure. I think you'll enjoy it. Exactly. I've done quite a lot of podcasting over the last two years, actually. I was a producer on two shows. One was called Geek Fruit, which it's still called Geek Fruit. I still uh, go like every other week for a recording. It's about popular culture and in, in uh, popular culture in the world. You know, so the, the geek culture, whether it's the new Blade Runner movie or any Marvel movie, we talk about it, other stuff like that. Simplified, which is another like sort of informative talk podcast out here in Mumbai. I did my own sex and dating podcast, which had a short seven episode stint called Sex Vex. So that in was, India. yeah, so that was so that because there was no conversation about dating or sex. So it's about like the conversations. Yeah, it's, your, it's about it's just your parents have with each other or... Uh, I don't think anyone's parents in India have this conversation with each other. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's so scarce over here that I just felt like I needed to do an entire podcast about it. So I have a co-host and she and I sort of break down the issues or the, the topics that we think are interesting, whether it's like first dates, how public displays of affection are taken in different parts of the country... Uh, you know, sex toys and orgasms and all, all kinds of things, basically, that, you know, you wanted to know but were afraid to ask, basically. So, yeah, done a lot of podcast work in the last two, two and a half years and really excited to add Brood in Bangkok to that list. And let's make it great again. Awesome. And for everybody else who's listening to this right now, we'll link all of Sidan's previous productions so you can find out about sex education in India, about... The drinking it leads to and um, all the dumb nerdy shit in the culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Sidant, and thank you very much for helping me out for hopefully many episodes to come in the future. And uh, if you're still listening, you can tweet us at Thai Starter Kit or send an email on the website broodinbangkok.com with something you want to have for free. Yeah, we're like genies in a bottle. We'll just make it happen. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Looking forward to hear your questions, your suggestions, your thoughts, and uh, hopefully welcome you next time on the next episode of Brood in Bangkok. And thank you for having me. And I will see all of you soon, I'm sure, or you will hear me hear from me soon, rather, on the upcoming episodes of Brood in Bangkok. Awesome. Until next time. And that's it from Brood in Bangkok for this episode. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and leave it a five-star rating. If you would like to find out more about the show, you can go to broodinbangkok.com and the website will redirect you to more information about the podcast, show notes, and more background information about our guests and anything else you want to know about the show or me. Until next time.